0: Around drops. trying to make up for it. Fire to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins. The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Welcome back into second and twenty-six. Your dedicated Alabama podcast here on the Athletic. I'm your host, Aaron Suddles, the Alabama beat writer for the Athletic. You could also hear me. On WJOX 94.5, Monday through Friday, 10 to 2 right here in Birmingham. And you can catch me here every Monday on 2nd and 26th. This is for free. You can get that wherever you get your podcast, And then the Friday's edition is for our subscribers. We hope that if you are taking advantage of the free, listen on Mondays, that you would at least give us a seven-day free trial run. I think you're going to like what you experience and uh, what we strive to give you the best sports website out there. Uh Alabama going to 5 and 0 on the season Saturday with a 59 to 31 win over Old Miss. Um and they head into the bye week on a little bit of a down note, I guess you could say from the fans because uh the Alabama fan base is a very tough grading. They're the Alabama fan base, or at least a certain portion of it, is the the teacher that you had that that graded really difficult and they had a, a reputation throughout your high school or in college. You know, they got that that website, Grade Your Professor. So when you left a review, it would, it would you would tell everyone how difficult that professor graded. That's kind of where Alabama fans are over the last decade because they've seen the highest of the high. They grade everything based on that, and so it kind of it kind of destroys the curve for the rest of the teams. But uh, in this particular case, I don't think that Alabama's uh, Alabama fans' reaction is is over the top. Now, some of you guys is over the top, but some of the it depends on your worldview, right? Some people are glass half full creatures; other people are glass half empty creatures. Um, so. I guess it depends on your worldview, how you view this team right now. But one thing is for certain, after listening to Nick Saban's press conference Saturday night after the game, is that he is uh, hes uncomfortable, I guess is the best way to put it. Nick Saban is uncomfortable with the way his team is winning. And he's sort of a fish out of water here. Like, he doesn't want to complain about his offense. I mean... What's there to complain about on a day where your one of your ride receivers tied an SEC record, set two school records um, on a day in which your quarterback set a career high for touchdown passes and broke the program's touchdowns responsible for a record? Uh, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of positivity. As Nick Saban likes to say, that's a lot of positive self gratification for Tua Tonga Valoa and Devontae Smith. But this is not the type of football Nick Saban is um, probably most comfortable playing. Let's just call a spade a spade. I think he would – he loves that. Let's, – let's get this straight. He loves the offense, and he loves how explosive Alabama is. What he doesn't like is in, in being as explosive as it is, is being as dominant as it is, it's unable to control a football game. That – In Nick Saban's eyes, is what makes a truly dominant team, a truly great team. And I think he's wrestling with the fact that while Alabama is scoring 40, 50, 60 points a game, that they aren't, they're unable to control that game, if that makes sense. In other words, Alabama dictates the pace of the game. Alabama never lets its foot off an opponent's throat. And that just, that's not this team. And I think five weeks in, we probably need to expect that this is the team. Now, I'm not suggesting that that the defense won't get better, that the offensive line and the running game won't get better. In fact, I thought the offensive line for the second straight week played a pretty good game. I think Najee Harris for the second straight week played a pretty good game but is this defense going to get markedly better? Now, a bye week certainly comes at a good time. But Nick, this was Nick Saban after Saturday. I highlighted a couple of things that he said and as he was saying them, as a reporter when you cover a subject long enough, you you know when you're getting a good quote. It's it's almost like an alarm bell goes off in your head. Mark this down, mark this down, mark this down, because you realize it's a good quote. And the two, the two particular uh, phrases that I'm going to highlight today came from Nick Saban in his opening remarks. So in other words, he wasn't asked a question. This is what he said in his opening remarks. And this is why I say that Nick Saban is uncomfortable with how Alabama is winning. His first words after scoring 59 points at home and having a couple of his offensive players set records were, I guess a win is a win. <laughs> Does that sound like a coach that just won a conference game by 28 points and put 59 on the board? I guess a win is a win. But Nick Saban ain't comfortable winning this way, y'all. He just ain't. He would rather – I think there's more beauty in Nick Saban's eyes to a 35-3, 28 nothing victory. There than there is in a fifty-nine to thirty-one game. Nick Saban just may be too old school. Nick Saban evolved with the times. He knew he had to if he wanted to continue uh, you know, lording over the greatest college football run in history. He knew he had to change. But he had, he didn't like it. He didn't like it at the time. He voiced his concerns. He adapted, now he's doing it. But he's not completely comfortable with it. Later on, and, and again, this is still the opening remarks. He says, I always say that if you win and don't play well, that's not really a good thing. In what aspect is he talking about not playing well? Alabama scored 59 points. Devonta Smith caught five touchdowns. 274 yards receiving. I thought Najee Harris ran the ball well. I thought the offensive line played better. I think Deontay Brown got some some valuable minutes that will help his conditioning going forward. uh, Deontay Brown um, coming off the suspension, played left guard, played right guard, got in there a little bit, needs to work on his conditioning. So in what area on the offense did, did Alabama not play well? He's not talking about the offense. Nick Saban is a defensive-minded coach. Almost everything he views through a defensive prism, and what he saw was his team give up 31 points to Ole Miss. This, is a, and this ain't Hugh Freeze's old myth. This is, this is Matt Luke's old miss. Matt Luke with a true freshman quarterback in John Reese Plumley who couldn't throw the ball. He was one dimensional and he still got over a hundred yards rushing on Alabama. Now John Reese plum is pretty quick. I'm going to give that boy his due. He was, he was, (laughs) he was fast. The problem is Alabama didn't, didn't keep contain. They let him get the corner. I mean, this, this isn't Cam Newton quarterback drawing for 20 yards up the middle between the tackles because he's a physical specimen. This was a guy that got on the outside. Perimeter runs is what are killing Alabama this year. So Nick Saban is um, is not happy with the way his team is playing, but he says that through a defensive minded coach's prism. Because if the defense don't play well, I don't know that Nick Saban's ever going to be real happy. Because that's his that's his thing, man. That's that's what he's known as, and suddenly he finds himself unable to stop the run. Now we we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, right? After Alabama got back from Columbia, South Carolina, when Rico Daddle went over 100 yards on Alabama. And in it it they somewhat stemmed that conversation last week against Southern Miss, but it's back again this week cuz they ran for 200 what, 280 something yards old Miss. So if you start looking at the two games in which Alabama's had trouble stopping the run, what's what do those two teams have in common? What do South Carolina and Ole Miss have in common? What they have in common is that they're SEC teams, and they got some SEC athletes. And let's just let's just let's be honest about it. They're not great SEC programs. These are middling to bad SEC programs right now, South Carolina and Ole Miss. And they torched Alabama on the ground. So what happens when Alabama plays better SEC programs, programs who have more SEC athletes? I think that's where Nick Saban's looking down the road and saying he sees issues with this team. And he's always going – I mean, this is a guy that's never going to be happy and completely satisfied. So I – I'm not going to read too much into his feelings, but he was exasperated after the game. If you go back and watch the press conference, he, uh, he's a coach still trying to find a defensive identity for his team, and he can't find one because the pass rush isn't very good. They can't stop the run very well. And we talked about the pass rush last week, and I wrote about it in last week's mailbag. He, there's really nothing they can hang their hat on on this defense. Now, turning people over, they've done, they've done a pretty good job of. And they got another interception on Saturday when Jared Maiden picked one off in the fourth quarter. But there's really nothing on this defense that Nick Saban feels good enough to hang his hat on that this is what this is what our defensive identity is. What is it? What's the defensive identity? Cuz I don't know it. I think that's I think that's where they are right now, but the the run defense is the biggest issue, and I I took a look at the the run defense in today's Subtle's thoughts, which is up at the Athletic now. You can read it, and again, if you're not a member of the Athletic, subscribe. You can get a seven day free trial. You can enjoy um, the coverage, and so you can follow along with the conversation a little better. But I I wrote on Subtle's thoughts this week, um, just to trying to make sense of what I was seeing on defense, and so. I wanted to look at explosive runs, right? Uh, I, I, that was the metric I used, and I said, okay, I want to look at in 2019 through five games. How many runs has Alabama allowed that went for at least 10 yards, 10 yards or more? Um, because, quite frankly, we don't we, we we just haven't seen a ton of it consistently against Alabama. Um, it's just not. Not a huge thing that we see week in and week out. So I I charted it. And through five games, Alabama has allowed 19 runs of 10 yards or more, which in and of itself doesn't really mean anything. I always tell reporters, numbers for the sake of numbers don't mean anything. Tell the reader why you're sharing this number with them. Put it into context for them. So I'm going to put this into context for you. So, I also tracked the number of ten yard or more runs on Alabama's defenses since two thousand ten and I noticed something very interesting they They hovered along from two thousand ten through two thousand seventeen. The highest season that they allowed ten runs of ten yards or more um, total was two thousand ten was forty five they allowed 45 runs of 10 yards or more in 2010. That was 13 games. And then it went down. It went to 20. they allowed 22 of those in 2011, 28 in 2012, 35 in 13, 44 in 2014, 36 in 2015, which was 15game season, uh, 39 in 2016, which was a 15-game season. Uh, 36 in 2017, which is a 14 game season in 2018, they had 52. So there's this huge jump from 2017 to 2018. They went from allowing 36 of those in 14 games and they gave up 52 the next year. Those that looking at this numbers, that, that was a big jump to me. So I thought to myself, well, what was the difference between 2017 and 2018? And there were there were a couple things that I found, just, just thinking about it. Well, one, 2018 was the year that Alabama's offense took off, right? I mean, that was the year Alabama went from being known as a dominant defensive team who runs the ball with a, with a pro-style quarterback, and they're going to run the ball well, they're going to pass it well enough to win, and they're going to suffocate you with the defense. That's what Alabama was known as for the majority of the Nick Saban era. And then in 2018, they got this this magical gift of Tua Tonga Valoa from the Hawaiian Islands and this trio of receivers that came in along with freshman Jalen Waddell that year. And they just transformed Alabama's offensive identity. I mean, completely overnight transformed the identity. Tua captured the imagination of the entire country because he was transforming Alabama's offense. And everyone was fascinated with it. So that, that happened in 2018. Could that have anything to do with it? I don't know. What else happened between 2017 and 2018? Alabama went to a new defensive coordinator. They went from the, the Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, very Saban-esque. These guys have worked for Saban for a really long time, defensive coordinator. And they promoted Tosh Lapoy, And it didn't work out. And basically Pete Golding took over play calling responsibilities from Tosh LaPoy in the middle of the season. And now Pete Golding is defensive coordinator. Could that have anything to do with it? I don't know. There is there is no scientific answer for this. There's no right or wrong. But I do think those two things play a factor in it. You're probably listening and saying, Aaron, you're skipping the most obvious thing. You just, You've just completely skipped over the most obvious thing that's causing these numbers to be higher. And that's the fact that Alabama's injury situation has, pl- has made the, the depth chart such that, that younger guys are having to play. Well, I did factor that in. I did factor that in because do you remember when the, the linebacker injury situation really hit DEFCON 3, DEFCON 1 for the first time? It was in 2017. But the 2017 defensive stat that I read for you, in which they allowed 36 runs of 10 yards or more throughout the entire season, was actually less than the season before in 2016 in which Alabama had a bunch of dudes. Do you remember how good that 2016 defense was? It was filled with NFL players. Let me remind you, Reuben Foster, Jonathan Allen, Dalvin Tomlinson, Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, Eddie Jackson, Marlon Humphrey. Those guys were on that 2016 team. And that, those are the same guys that weren't there in 2017. So with less talent, Alabama actually allowed fewer runs of 10 yards or more. And they, and they went through that injury bug in 2017 too. So I don't know that it's – I don't think talent's the problem. Alabama's always had dudes. Now, they've probably never been in a situation where they had to play two true freshmen. They haven't. And that's certainly a contributing factor, but not to the level that what we've seen. We've seen 19 of these runs allowed in five games. And guys, nine of them came on Saturday. That's concerning. Because Old Miss, offensively, they're not going to win very many beauty contests. So it's it's an issue for this team. And... I'm going to continue tracking this number, but, you know, would getting LeBron Ray back later in the season help? Yeah, certainly it would. As many guys in the front seven as they can get back as possible are going to help. But some of it's just who this team is this year, playing two true freshmen at linebacker. Christian Harris is a, is a quick twitch guy who can play sideline to sideline. It's an experience issue with Christian Harris. He's just got to get comfortable playing Shane Lee put himself in a position to start when, when Dylan Moses got hurt. But he's limited athletically. I mean, if you he's not, he's not a quick twitch guy. He's a little bit what you would probably term him a stiff linebacker. He's not a special athlete in that regard. And I say that realizing how absurd I sound as a as a sports writer critiquing five-star athletes to play for Alabama, it's all relative, right? I'm not I'm not suggesting that Shane Lee's not a good athlete. I'm just talking about in, in the mold of Dante Hightower, in the mold of C.J. Mosley, in the mold of Rashawn Evans and Ruben Foster. He's he's not that. So that's not me. I mean, I'm not condemning Shane Lee or or you know passing too harsh a judgment on his skills. He's still a really good athlete, but he's not that level. And that's what that's the level we judge Alabama linebackers against. I think Christian Harris could be those type of guys in terms of ability whether he gets there mentally or not, we'll see. He's just a, he's been forced to play as a true freshman. There's going to be some bumps and bruises with that. But I you're born with some of that stuff. You can work at it, and I'm talking about athletically here. You you can work at, you know, getting getting more flexible getting getting faster, getting leaner, getting stronger, being able to shed blocks, all that. You can work on stuff like that, but some of this stuff is God-given. I mean, it just is, and I, I don't know that Shane Lee will be able to get to that level, um, but they may not need him at that level. He's not going to be able to make every play now. It's just that's not his ability. He is not a sideline-to-sideline side guy. I mean, there was a play on Saturday where Jerry on Ealy just left him standing still because he put a move on him. And and that tells you that, okay, this, this guy's not a quick twitch guy. And that's fine. You can still win with him. But you're gonna need a, one of those other linebackers, particularly Christian Harris, to be that guy. You're gonna need a sideline to sideline guy, especially with the game, the way the game's played now. If you're gonna use Shane Lee in pass coverage on a running back or an H back, that's that there might be some mismatches there. So I sell that to say. These linebackers, are, they're trying their hardest, and this bye week probably comes at a very good time for them, so that they can have, just have a chance to breathe. You know, let's let's look at the film. This is where we've messed up against South Carolina. This is where we really messed up against Ole Miss. Let's correct these problems and and move forward. Because because Xavier McKinney told me after the game the same stuff that Ole Miss had success with was the stuff that South Carolina showed two weeks earlier. So if they don't get that corrected, every offensive coordinator in the country is going to be using that. I mean, just week after week after week of that. Hey, best wishes to the Athletics' Mitch Sherman and Max Olson, co-hosts of our Nebraska Cornhuskers podcast, The Sellouts, because they have to recap the one-sided Ohio State game. Yeah, best wishes to them indeed. At least LeBron's Taco Tuesday will be unaffected. Grab a seat and pair of headphones and tune in to The Sellouts, which airs every Monday and Friday here on The Athletic. The Nebraska Know-It-All's mentioned Max also release free episodes every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we say it every week, but make sure to subscribe to to updates from the sellouts by clicking the follow button on its show page. Uh, I promised you I would get uh, at least one question in from the mailbag last week that I didn't answer all of the questions. I'll try to do that. Whenever there's a mailbag, I, I... you know don't be afraid to just send stuff in that even if it's a little off the wall i get a, i'm starting to get a, like a bourbon question every week which i love so if it's even off the wall we can have some fun here It doesn't have to be all serious all the time we're allowed to have a little fun mom and dad are out for dinner we can have a little fun you know the adults are away we can keep it a little, keep it pg13 but we can have a little fun with it so even if it's not a football related question We can have fun with pop culture stuff and all that. So um, if you have a question when there's a prompt for a mailbag going forward, shoot it in because if I don't get to it in the actual mailbag, I take those questions and I I, I put them in the podcast uh, at least once a week. This one comes to us from Roosevelt in Detroit. And he says, With the struggle of coaches like Jeremy Pruitt and Josh Gaddis, will it slow down the poaching of Alabama coaches? Or is that a door that's forever destined to be revolving? That's a great question, Roosevelt. Um, there is a, um, there's a certain stamp of approval, right? If you've worked for Nick Saban, particularly if you did a good job for Nick Saban, if you were a coordinator for Nick Saban, uh, you, you sort of get, um, you know those, when you, when you go to a deli, the deli section of your supermarket and you get the number and you're waiting for your turn. It's sort of like getting to skip the line or at least getting a priority number uh, when you've worked for Nick Saban, you you sort of have a um, something on your resume that puts you over the top over some candidates. Now, does that change going forward? Certainly Jeremy Pruitt struggling this year is not helping Jim McElwain crashing and burning at Florida didn't help, but I'll remind everyone that Jim McElin actually did a pretty decent job at Colorado State. The spotlight at Florida was probably a bit too big for him. But you could easily just point to to Kirby Smart and say, well, that's working out pretty well, right? I mean, uh Kirby's doing all right for himself, leaving leaving the Nick Saban nest. Uh Josh Gaddis. Uh did you guys see by the way that he got into it with Harbaugh on the sideline? Uh that 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 experiment looks like it's going well up at Michigan. But Michigan did put the hammer down this weekend and bounce back from a ugly loss to Wisconsin. Uh so we'll uh right now the body of work for, for Josh Gaddis is incomplete. So let's let's we can judge a little bit, but let's withhold the majority of judgment until he's had a full season as as the guy there. Um Here's the thing, if you're if you're a quality coach, the, the coaching fraternity, the coaching community is very tight knit. Um, it's a it's a rather small network. It, I know it seems large from the outside, but if, if you picked a coach from one staff, and then just randomly you picked up a media guide from another school across the country and just pointed it at another coach, it's like six six degrees of separation, right? You played that game with Kevin Bacon, the six degrees a separation from Kevin Bacon. That's kind of how it is in, in college football coaching and coaching in general. They may not have a direct connection to the coaches that you've picked out, but somewhere along the way, chances are somebody that they've worked with worked with someone else and, or there's been a chance encounter or a meeting or they were a GA on staff when someone else was there. So, well, All I'm saying is if you, if you do a good job for Nick Saban, it's going to get out. Um, and you're going to get opportunities now right now for for Pete Golding it's uh he's in, timing is a really <laughs> timing is a really weird thing in life. sometimes you get good timing uh, remember when i I asked you the question what 's the difference between the Alabama defenses of two thousand and seventeen and two thousand and eighteen Pete golding's one of those things. How much he's responsible for the fall off we've seen in Alabama's defense is impossible to ascertain. In fact, I'm not even completely comfortable even saying his name, talking about the fall off. But he's a he's he's one of those links. So it'd be irresponsible of me not to at least suggest that you know Alabama was at its best with Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. Two guys that had been with Nick Saban a long, long time. Of course, Jeremy Pruitt went out on his own a little bit for Florida State, and then he went to Georgia, and he came back to Alabama. But before that, before he had ever left for Florida State, he'd been on staff at Alabama for a really long time. Kirby Smart was a long-time defensive coordinator for Alabama under Nick Saban. So I'm not hanging this all on Pete Golden. I think the offense plays a major factor in it. I mean, I do your research. Is there Has there ever been a, a team as explosive as Alabama that's fielded the nation's – Best defense? Are those correlated at all? Can you have both? Can that style of play offensively where you're scoring so quickly and so explosively and and putting your defense back out on the field, can that defense be elite elite? I don't know. It's an interesting question. But um, let's see. Who else is on this Alabama staff that would – that would garner some attention in the future. Certainly Carl Scott is a name. um, You know, the cornerbacks coach there in the secondary, Um, you know, Kyle flood has had his opportunities um, both in the NFL. So he's kind of got a name on, on his own. Jeff banks is a younger guy, you know, the tight end special teams coach, but you don't normally see tight end special teams guys get, opportunities to go be coordinators or head coaches along the way. Um, right now, the big name would, would probably be um, Pete Golding. Of course, Steve Sarkeesian, if he does a good job this year, would down the road probably get some more opportunities. I, I kind of think that Nick Saban hired Steve Sarkeesian after some uh, some assurances from Sark that he'd be here for more than one year. I think that lack of continuity on staff, Nick Saban is is acutely aware of and wants to uh, wants to correct. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sark's here for a little bit, at least one two years. I don't think he's going to be a one and done, but we'll see. I've thought that before and and obviously been wrong. So it won't be the first time. Hey, we'll we'll come back at you uh, on Friday with another uh, podcast on Second and Twenty Six. Until then. Don't fret too much about the defense. There's a bye week. We'll uh, hopefully uh, Alabama's out there working on. It. We'll get you some stories about what's being done to, to, to correct that. But until then, this is Aaron Suttle signing off in segment twenty six.